All right, good uh, morning once again. It's time for us to begin our, our Bible class here this morning. Appreciate you being here this morning as we continue our study in the life of Christ. We are in lesson number 57 this morning. If you're following along in, a, in the, the handout, or if you just want to follow along in the Bible, we'll be in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. But again, uh, glad for you to be here this morning as we continue this study. I know this has been a very um, enriching to me to, to go through the life of Christ, you know, verse by verse. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's interesting that this is kind of a side note thing that I was noticing um, the other day. But uh, if you kind of take where we are in all the gospel accounts. So we're really in the 18th chapter of Matthew. We're in the 9th chapter of Mark, the 9th chapter of Luke. I think we're maybe right around the 6th chapter of John. We haven't been in John as much yet. And so that kind of tells you that, uh, you know, if you read Matthew's account, you know, Matthew's got a lot of, uh, of the sort of earlier life of Jesus, uh, whereas, um, you know, Mark and especially Luke, right? Luke has 24 chapters and we're really only in Luke chapter 9. And so uh, we've got a lot to catch up in uh, Luke's account of the gospel account. And so, again, I mentioned this the other day, but there, you know, probably a good 40, 50 percent of what's written in the gospel accounts are pertaining to that last uh, week of Jesus' life and uh, in that last uh, year of his ministry. So we've still got a lot to cover, uh, obviously. Uh, but uh, again, uh, we've been uh, going, but we're getting there closer uh, to uh, when he has to go to Jerusalem. So if you're with us on Wednesday uh, evening, we looked at an account uh, where, uh, where, you know, basically, you know, we, we said that God paid taxes. Right? And maybe. Uh, if you're familiar with this account, um, it's the account where uh, Jesus and Peter and uh, the rest of them are, you know, they're back in uh, uh, the Galilee area. They're back in sort of this uh, region uh, where the Jews live, and we have some tax collectors, uh, not Roman tax collectors, but these are officials of the temple, uh, come to Peter and ask him, you know, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, we know back from the book of Exodus that it was required of, uh, of Jewish men 20 years and older to pay a tax to the temple upkeep every single year. And um, in the Old Testament, it's referred to as a shekel tax. Uh, in the New Testament, they're, they're using uh, Greek and Roman coinage now. And so uh, your translation, or at least my translation, refers to it as the two drachma tax uh, there in Mark chapter uh, Again, Mark chapter 9. And this, this was the equivalent of about two days worth of wages. Right? And so this is how much they would have to pay every year to the temple. Again, to help with the upkeep, to help with uh, you know, keeping things stocked. And you know, just what taxes go to. We understand those things. But uh, Jesus taught Peter a lesson on that day you know, by saying, you know, who, you know when, when a tax collector comes... Does, is, he going to tech, is he going to collect taxes from his sons or from strangers? And the emphasis that uh, Jesus was getting to Peter was that, you know, as Peter answers that question, well, the sons are exempt, right? The sons are exempt. And Jesus said, you know, that's right. You know, me being the son of God, you know, I, I, it's not necessary for me to pay the temple tax, right? Because this is my temple. 
But he says right then and there, but not to offend them. You know, I want you, Peter, to go and cast your, uh, you know, your, your line into the lake and you're going to pull out a fish. And within the mouth of that fish is going to be a coin. And uh, you're going to use that to pay the tax for you and I. And uh, so it was an amazing miracle that uh, really was a lot different from a lot of the miracles we see in Scripture. Uh, because uh, this one uh, dealt with you know, one fish versus you know, many fishes. Uh, it dealt with uh, you know, Jesus sort of um, benefiting from this miracle uh, personally because it, you know, it paid the tax for him and for Peter. And it was just, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a different type of miracle. We, we don't see a miracle like this. Matthew actually is the only one that records. I, I know I mentioned Mark earlier, but Matthew is really the only one that records that. But again, uh, he says that he did that to not offend uh, those tax collectors. Right? And so we made that application. Uh, Romans chapter 14, chapter 15 uh, is really big on this that Paul writes about is, uh, you know, not offending our brethren, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, things that are, um, you know, not doctrine, right? Things that are opinions, uh, that we need to be careful not to offend our brother. And, you know, Paul, probably the biggest example you might remember in Scripture that Paul used was, you know, the eating of meat. Remember, uh, during this time, uh, there were certain meats that the, the Jewish people uh, you know, like pork that uh, was at once unclean to them, but now it is clean. You know, now it is, uh, now they're able to partake of pork. And it was hard for some of those uh, Christians who were Jews, who became Christians, it was still hard for them in their conscience sake to uh, eat uh, that, that meat, right? Uh, there were other instances where uh, you might be sitting down for a potluck meal and you know that that meat was purchased at the market and that meat had been sacrificed to a, a pagan deity, you know, a pagan false god. And so, again, your conscience might tell you that, ooh, it's probably a bad thing to eat that. Uh, but really, again, you know, God or Paul says through the inspiration of God that, you know, those things are okay. Right? Uh, you know that it wasn't really dedicated to a god because that god didn't exist. Right? And Paul said, you know, I would never eat meat again, right, if it's going to affect, if it's going to offend my brother. You know, that's how, um, that's how, much, he, how much he cared and how much concern he had for his brethren, that he would never eat meat again if it offended his brother. If he was sitting at a table with uh, one of his Christian brethren, and again, it, it was something that bothered his conscience that he knew Paul was going to eat uh, you know, pork that day. You know, Paul said he wouldn't do it. And so um, unity, unity must prevail. That was sort of the theme of that uh, message, compassion without compromise, but of course not, never at the expense of truth. And I wanted to read one verse to kind of to sum up that lesson because we didn't really get to finish that lesson uh, Wednesday evening. Romans chapter 14, verse 7, Paul writes, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. And so, uh, again, we need to make sure that uh, we, you know, keep our brethren uh, in mind. And that really was the lesson uh, that Jesus was teaching Peter that day. Again, not wanting to offend uh, that tax collector who did not understand that, you know, Jesus was the Son of God. And he didn't have to pay taxes. He gave up his liberty, his personal right of ha not having to pay taxes and just went ahead and did that. 
And so um, we're going to move on from that lesson and move on to the next lesson. Uh, again, uh, I did not plan this out this way. Uh, I, I had written my sermon, you know, again, that, that shotgun sermon, and then come to find out that the author of this curriculum uh, developed sort of a shotgun Bible class for us this morning. And so uh, he's got uh, a lot of different points pointing to a lot of different areas within the scriptures. And so as time permits, we'll, we will go through all of these again. Again, I didn't plan it for it to be this way. You know, maybe it's a little bit harder for you to learn this way. I don't know. Or maybe you like to just get a lot of different pieces all at once. And so, again, we'll have to go through it this way as well. So uh, let's start thinking about the following questions, uh, because this is what we're going to see here uh, in this text in Mark chapter 9. You know, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, What does a child have to do to ensure eternal life? If we cause someone else to sin, uh, what should be done? What is hell going to be like? Uh, That's a question that we can answer from this text. And another one is, are there guardian angels? Because there's going to be a text in in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, that uh, is often used uh, as a proof text for that. And so we'll talk about these things. Uh, Let's turn to Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. And let's notice uh, this first point here. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. Uh, Let's read the first few verses. Uh, They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? Uh, But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. So the apostles are walking along. They're discussing these things uh, between them, uh, not necessarily in Jesus's earshot. But of course, Jesus knows what they're talking about. And they're scared to tell him of their discussion. Uh, But he but, you know, Jesus comes out and and asks them, you know, what were you talking about? What, What were you discussing? Again, they did not want to answer that, but he knew what they were talking about, right? That they were discussing, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why do you think they were asking this question among themselves? Can we point to a couple of times maybe prior to this where, uh, you know, maybe uh, this would have been, you know, something on their mind? Who's going to be the greatest among them? Who's going to be the greatest of the 12 apostles? You know, I can think of at least a couple, you know, think of uh, when, uh, you know, Peter gives the good confession, right? And then Jesus says, you know, what did he say he was going to give Peter? Yeah, he told Peter that he's going to give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right? And of course, he uses those keys, uh, not real keys, but of course, metaphorical keys to unlock the church in Acts chapter 2 to the Jews and to unlock the church to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some of the other apostles were noticing how, you know, it was Peter who was granted those keys. Uh, 
we just talked about here this morning, right? Peter, James, and John were chosen to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, while the other nine didn't. Right? Again, maybe there's some contention there. Later on, we haven't reached this point yet, but in Matthew chapter 20, uh, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and says, Grant it be that you know, my two sons sit on your left and your right hand in your kingdom. Right? She was uh, going to Jesus asking him to place her two boys at positions of power in the kingdom. You know, one at his left hand, one at his right hand. So you can kind of see that there might have been some of this contention going on between the 12 apostles already. Right? That maybe they've been discussing this among themselves. You know, uh, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be remembered? Who's going to get the highest rank in Jesus' kingdom? So obviously, uh, we don't know, but uh, we know that they are missing the point of the kingdom of heaven, right? That it's going to be a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. And so Jesus responds, if anyone wants to be first in my kingdom, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Or Luke says in his account, for the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. So what's the point? Why is Jesus saying this? Everybody's equal. Everybody's equal? Humility, right? Uh, if, you, if you're going to puff yourself up, you know, you, you're going to be, um, if you're going to puff, puff yourself up in this life, you know, Jesus says you're going uh, to be lowered, right? But if you're going to lower yourself in this life, if you're going to serve, uh, if you're going to be humble, you know, that, then you're going to be fit for the kingdom, he says, right? And so, who does... Right. Yeah, we've seen that over and over again, right? The, the human side of the disciples, uh, the, the fleshly side, the wanting the power and the recognition and uh, wanting to be seen. So who does Jesus in this object lesson bring before him to teach the apostles a lesson? Brings a child, right? He brings a child, puts the child before them in this object lesson. Uh, now, for us to really understand you know, what's going on here, we need to learn a little bit something about the culture of that day. You know, today, uh, today how do we treat children? If, uh, if we go downstairs for a potluck meal, who's going to get, and we have children with us, who's going to get the food first, usually? The children, right? Uh, the children, we're, we're going to go through the line and fill up their plate first. You know, that's, that's sort of how we do things in this culture, right? We, we serve the children. Uh, we see, you know, uh, grandparents spoiling their grandchildren, right? Uh, that's, again, that's the, the day that we lived in. But to understand what Jesus is talking about here, we need to go back to the first century and understand that that's not how children were treated in the first century. Matter of fact, they were on the low end of the social scale, Right? Uh, you didn't re revolve your world around them back then. And uh, so typically they were served last always. You know? And so when Jesus brings that child before them and says, you need to be like this child, you know, they would understand that. Because uh, in that society, the child was you know, lowliest. He was, uh, he was not the exalted uh, one that, that we sometimes do in our society. So... Uh, Jesus is teaching here, if you want to be valuable in the kingdom, you must take on this humble role of a child. Um, regard one another more important than yourselves, Philippians chapter 2. First uh, Peter chapter 5, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so to be first, we must be last. 
uh, to be great, we must be least. You know, that's a hard teaching for us or for them, and it's a hard teaching for us today. And, you know, just, just let me ask you, you know, how can we practice that today? How can we practice being, uh, if we want to be first, then to be last? What, it, what are some practical things that maybe you do or you see other Christians do to put that in practice? Treat everyone equal. equal. Okay. Yeah, Danny? Helping others. Helping others. <coughs> okay, yeah, without being asked. Yeah, putting others in front of us, right? Yes, it's not just about uh, waiting to go last in the potluck line downstairs. Uh, but, you know, I guess that's part of it. You know, being last, you'll be first. But, yeah, I mean, we can see a lot of those things um, implemented in our lives. Right? Again, there's a great principle. You know, Jesus says this over and over again in Scripture, not just in this account, but in other places. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. You've got to be like that little child. Right? Who, who's, he's uh, sort of the, the lowest on the totem pole in, in that society. You've got to be humble like him. Okay? So there's one point. Uh, the next point we want to notice is that, um, you know, there, there, again, another lesson that we can learn from this illustration uh, I want to turn quickly to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 18 and read a couple of verses here. Uh, again, that, that Mark doesn't specifically say, but Matthew says in, uh, again, uh, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 3, it says, Jesus said, uh, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what we want to point out in this point here and emphasize is that um, is regarding the, you know, the, the teaching of children and you know, salvation. Uh, has anyone ever heard of total hereditary depravity? And that's probably not something we use in everyday language, but... Have you heard that term before? Total hereditary depravity. Or another way of saying it is original sin. All right, so the, this is the teaching that's in the denominational world that children are born sinful. Right? The, the children are born sinful. And uh, they'll tell you that even a baby is born depraved. And, you know, sometimes you can, they'll even give some of these, you know, silly illustrations about, and they'll be, they'll be honest and truthful that they actually believe this, that uh, there was an example of, you know, a preacher was, um, or there was a, a baby being spoon-fed, you know, and the preacher got down close to the baby to look at it, and the baby spit, you know, its baby food all over the preacher's clothes, you know, and that preacher, uh, again, a denominational preacher said, you know, that that, that child did that on purpose, he was sinning. Uh, children are selfish, right? Babies are selfish because they deprive uh, parents of sleep in the middle of the night, constantly waking up and crying. You know, there are some, uh, there are some denominational preachers that say that, you know, that's being sinful, right? That these babies are being sinful. And because of that, a lot of these denominations will teach infant baptism. Right? That, they must, that babies must be baptized so that those sins, uh, of course, can be washed away. Well, is that what Scripture teaches? 
I mean, good. Look, look again, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is for children. Right? It's for those who uh, have these childlike uh, qualities. Now, um, you know, we can talk about, uh, and I wish we had a lot more time this morning, but we could talk about, you know, when does that, when does that take place in a person's life that they go from uh, being a child, an innocent child, to one who is now, um, you know, needing God's grace, needing uh, their sins to be washed away? Okay, when they learn the difference between good and evil. Now, is there a set age for that? No. Uh, this scripture, or excuse me, this, this term is not in scripture, uh, but we often refer to this as the age of accountability. Right? The, the, the time where a child uh, goes from you know, being pure and innocent, again, to uh, needing to um, repent and needing to uh, obey the gospel. And again, there are a lot of different uh, variables as to you know, when this takes place in a, a child's life. It's going to be about, again, as Danny mentioned, their understanding. It's going to be about you know, their self-awareness um, and maybe even in an environment. Right? Some children are, are raised in an environment where they don't see sin. Uh, they really don't know anything about sin. And so it might be, they might be a lot older when they come to that uh, realization, whereas you know, a child who might be uh, raised in a tougher environment uh, might come to those, that realization a little bit earlier. But again, the point is, as Jesus says, uh, children are not born in sin. They are not born with sin. They are innocent. The, the kingdom of heaven is a place where uh, children, again, are ch- people who have children like uh, these children-like qualities uh, are a part of. What, why is that? What about a child makes one qualified for the kingdom of heaven? Okay, yeah, there's two great, uh, Danny points out two uh, great aspects uh, of being childlike. You know, being humble. You know, children are humble, right? And, and children are eager to learn. You know, I, I mentioned in my bulletin article uh, last week about um, you know, a child who, a child who was crying, right, because uh, they were leaving evening services and no Bible class was being offered, right? They wanted to go to Bible class right after worship because they, they wanted to go be with their friends. They wanted to go learn um, some more Bible lessons. And so she was crying. She was in tears, right? She, was, uh, she had that tender heart uh, that we all would want. You know, th- those are the individuals that or those are those instances that we can see, again, uh, that make up this childlike quality. So, uh, again, again, there's plenty more of those, you know, innocence uh, we could think of. But, again, um, heaven, right, the kingdom of heaven uh, is for those who have those types of qualities. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, Mark chapter 9, starting in... Uh, we're going to skip verses 38 and 41 for a moment, and if we'll have time, we'll come back to those, because in verse 42, uh, he sort of picks up his thoughts. So, verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if 
With a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone uh, will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and at the peace uh, with one another, and be at peace with one another. So, uh, you know, this. So again, Jesus probably still has that child in front of him. He's probably still teaching uh, his uh, apostles about being humble, about being childlike in these qualities. And now he's really talking about our influence. Again, because he says, um, again there, uh, do not hinder him for there is no one who, or excuse me, yes, verse 39, 40, um, for he who is... Where am I? I've lost my spot. <laughs> okay, 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, uh, to stumble, it would be better for him uh, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck than to be cast into the sea. Uh, do you think that the term little ones is, can we apply that terms to a different uh, people, uh, different, different uh, Christians within the kingdom? Sorry? Oh. Yeah, that's a great one. New converts, right? So, uh, you know, we've got little children. Uh, We can think of new converts. Uh, We can just think of Christians in general. But, you know, Jesus says if we cause them to sin, right, uh, they're just brought into the kingdom. Uh, They're brought into the church. And if we cause them to sin, he says it, it would be better for them if a millstone was placed around their neck. Now, is a millstone... Uh, a tiny stone, or is this a big stone? Right, this is something large, right? And so uh, if you're tossed into the sea with this, you're not coming back up, right? And so uh, that's how uh, much Jesus um, is emphasizing here uh, about causing a little one to stumble, whether, again, it's a little child or uh, maybe a new convert or Christians in general, uh, I was just going to mention a couple of verses that Paul uh, wrote in Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 13. He said, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. So again, uh, we need to make sure that we don't put a stumbling block uh, in the way of others, especially those who are um, a little bit more susceptible to those things, right? Again, new converts. Uh, Yeah. Right. We have influence, right? And, uh, oh boy, that's our times, our times fleeting. And so uh, Jesus gives an example, right? He says, if your, if your hands cause you uh, to stumble, if your feet cause, or feet cause you to stumble, if your eyes are causing problems, right, cut them off, uh, pluck them out. Is he talking literally? No, he's not talking literally. Uh, what are some examples today 
of what you and I can do uh, to uh, prevent those things from happening. Okay, live, live as the examples we're supposed to be. If there's something in our lives that is you know, keeping us from uh, following the gospel or from keeping us concentrated on God, you know, Jesus again says, uh, you know, cut that arm off, right? Or cut the feet off or, or pluck your eye out, right? Um, you know, what about one of these things? You know, if, if we're spending all our time uh, on that, you know, scrolling through social media versus, uh, you know, reading scripture. Do you think we're going to be judged by that one day? Very possible. Very, very possible, right. And so, you know, maybe that's an example where we say to ourselves, you know what? I don't want to be uh, before my God in judgment, uh, having him tell me that I spent, you know, 40 times the amount of time in my life, you know, scrolling through Facebook or something than reading the scriptures. I need to, you know, chop it off, right? I need to get rid of it. I need to put it aside, you know, do whatever I can to make sure that um, it is not going to be a hindrance for me uh, to go uh, to the kingdom, right? Because he said it would be better for me to to have one arm or one leg or one eye than to uh, be cast into hell. And so, again, I know our time is fleeting, so let's move on to that next point, which is, you know, what Jesus taught about here about hell. Uh, who taught more about hell in the New Testament than anybody? Jesus did, didn't he? It wasn't Paul, it wasn't Peter, but it was Jesus. And so uh, we need to understand that you know, this is a real place. And here are some of the descriptions Jesus gives us about the torment in hell. He says this is a place where the worm does not die. Right? That kind of gives us the, the, uh, the, uh, the vision of you know, guilt eating away at us. Uh, the fire is not quenched. Uh, you know, we're going to be in, it'll be a place of agony and torment. It says cast into, right? What does that imply being cast into? Torment, eternal, right? You're being cast into it. There's probably, there's no way out, right? And so um, if you have something that would cause you to enter that place, as Jesus says, whether it's an arm, a leg, an eye, you know, cut those things out, get those things out of your life. Uh, for your soul's sake. And I know I'm really rushing through because I wanted to get to all of these points. But if we go back to Matthew, Matthew's account, I told you I was going to talk about uh, this verse about angels. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 10, uh, when he's talking about the stumbling blocks, again, he says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What is the um, what is the job? What is uh, what are angels known to do in Scripture? Messengers, right? Hebrews chapter one, uh, verse uh, fourteen says this. It says. Uh, Are they not all ministering spirits? Okay, talking about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Uh, Remember the account of rich man and Lazarus. Remember we pointed that out a couple of weeks ago in that sermon that uh, the angels came to receive uh, 
Lazarus and take him to paradise, but there was no mention of angels uh, in reference to the rich man who went to torment, went to the other side of Hades, right? And so we can notice something about, uh, it appears that, you know, the angels have an interest uh, in Christians, right? That, that they are ministering spirits uh, to those uh, that that scripture says, for the sake of those who will inherit uh, salvation. Uh, there's a passage in Job, I forgot to write this down, but there's a passage in Job that talks about how the angels uh, celebrated or how they were in awe when the, when the world was created. Right? And so we know that all things were created through Christ, uh, but the angels apparently had been created before uh, the world was created, right? before you know, Genesis 1-1. And so uh, we know that, again, the angels are created, uh, you know, the we, when we die, we do not become angels. I know a lot of people uh, like to say that, uh, that, you know, especially if a younger child dies, that, you know, that, that they are up in heaven as angels. But we don't see that in Scripture. Right? Uh, angels are, are already a spiritual type of entity that had been created before the foundation of the world. And they are uh, working in God's service, ministering angels. And so... Again, going, verse, going back to verse 10 in Matthew chapter 18, let me read it one more time. It says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And again, whether that verse there is in reference to a guardian angel or if it's just uh, being used as sort of a generic saying, saying that you know, children have angels in heaven, you know, those angels are ready to, um, to work or to minister to uh, those children, because again, children are already kingdoms, are already members of that kingdom of heaven, right? They, 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 they have not sinned yet. Uh, they, they have no need uh, to um, obey the gospel as of yet, because they are still uh, innocent. And again, that verse is, it's an interesting verse, right? Does anyone want to make any comments about that verse? I know there's a lot of TV shows that sort of portray that, you know, uh, what was it, Touched by an Angel? And there, I think there's somebody counted like over 40 TV shows about angels. And so a lot of what we think of angels comes from, you know, maybe what Hollywood created. And that, you know, everywhere we go, uh, you know, we might have this angel, you know, sort of following us, right? You know, that's how kind of TV depicts that. Again, I don't know if we can stretch that. Uh, because the scriptures don't necessarily make that clear to us. But uh, it, it, it is comforting for us to know, again, that uh, these, these angels in heaven are ministering spirits, ministering to those uh, who are going to receive salvation. Of course, on the day of judgment, they're going to be the ones who come uh, with Jesus, and they're going to um, help in that process. And so there's a lot more that we can say about angels and uh, I guess I think I'm over my time, but I uh, appreciate you guys being uh, here in our study this morning. Uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, next Sunday uh, we're going to be out of town. So Brother Jack's going to be here giving the lesson and teaching the Bible class. And so uh, we'll have to put off the Life of Christ class next Sunday. And Brother Jack will bring us a lesson uh, then. And uh, Brother Jimmy's going to have our closing prayer for us.